I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Who is your worst enemy? Who is your worst, worst enemy? See, well, you got to know the biggest battle you're in. Really, what's the biggest battle you're in? Because you need to know that before you can know who your worst enemy really is. I'll just give you a hint. It is that cold, cruel, heartless, and horrific tormentor, not the devil. You know, your worst enemy. That horrific tormentor that will still be standing when all other foes fade away. Because, don't read ahead. Because (laughs) the last enemy to be destroyed is who? Death. Death, personified in the Bible over and over. It's death. Death. That is the only battle that matters in the end. You know, funny how many battles, wrong fights we fight, but then death comes knocking at the door and it just clarifies everything. Right? Oh, that wasn't, what was I doing? It's the only battle that matters in the end. And sorry to say, break it to you this way, but uh, the day you were born, the doctor delivered you to the battlefield. But take heart, the gift of God is eternal life. And that is in Christ Jesus, Yeshua, means salvation, our Lord. So we left off, it was before Mother's Day, uh, we left off just after Jesus had uh, just shut off the wind, like a switch, collapsed the waves, and then continued on in the darkness with his terrified boys toward the notorious, naked, and crazy, screaming Gadarene and a legion of demons in order to fulfill God's word to Gad. That was one of the 12 tribes, 12 nations, concerning the land of Gad. And they sailed, was where we left off. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. Now that's Luke. Then Matthew says, we want to get all the pieces. Matthew's in purple, Luke's in green, Mark's in blue. When Jesus arrived in the region of of the Gadarenes, you go, well, wait a minute, that's two different places. Yes, it is. Those are two, those are two cities, Jerasa and Gadara. Those are two cities on the other side of the Jordan, called the Transjordan. Um, Jerasa of the Gerasenes and Gadara of the Gadarenes in the land of Gad. But those are just two of ten cities in a huge region called the Decapolis, Deca, ten, polis, cities, called the ten cities. That was the region, the Decapolis. And uh, it's even in the story. Jesus sends them out. But let's get back to the story. Because when they arrive on the shore, Jesus does something. I said not, it was not found in the Gospels, because it isn't. And quite likely, I said to his disciples' horror, he screams, here I am. Here I am. And a man, Mark says, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he ran and he cried out. I said one of the boys might have cried out, Egad, we're doing Isaiah 65. But this moment right here, much bigger than he thinks. Because no less than the end of an age 
is coming. The temple age in Israel. That was the first, that was the first age, the temple age to come. And this guy's going to be the first guy Jesus sends to start preparing for it. It came in 70 AD. 70 AD. We know that. We know that it did. And the, the Roman legions destroyed it. So we just got to have some context if we're really going to understand what's going on here with our crazy Gadarene brother. You see, Jesus not only knew the real enemy, uh, he couldn't get out of the forefront of his mind. For example, uh, he was leaving the temple for the very last time. And one of his uh, disciples said to him, oh, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And I love this line. Jesus do, do you see all these great buildings? Replied Jesus. Because here's what he sees. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. By Roman legions. Just 40 years later. So you got to go clear back. Clear back. When John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What wrath? What's he talking about? Uh, the end of the temple age in 70 AD. When the body of Christ replaced the body of Moses as God's instrument. He says, he who is coming will gather. Well, he will, who warned you to flee? Well, first he's going to warn his own to flee. And then he'll gather his wheat into the barn, but he'll burn up the chaff. And so 15 months before Jesus' dire warning about not one stone, and shortly after uh, sending out the, our, our gathering brother, we're in Galilee. The crowd's listening in as Jesus is preparing to send out the boys to take up their cross and lay down their life for the cause of Christ. And then it turns and the boys are listening in as Jesus is cautioning the crowd to use the word to judge what is right to fight before going before the judge. And it says there was present at that season some who told Jesus, who, a Galilean himself, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had just mingled with their sacrifices. You know, killed them in the temple. Now you have to understand, Pilate only used deadly force in the city of Jerusalem against insurrection. But the Jews believed they'd be freed from Rome. So zealots, the zealous ones, often rebelled. And being that Jesus and the boys are all Galilean in Galilee with a Galilean crowd who think he's going to free them from Rome, it is absolutely supposed in that moment that these guys are going to be blessed with success if they're more righteous than those Galileans that God you know, didn't bless. And so Jesus said to the crowd, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans just because they they suffered these things I tell you no no those guys were just fighting the wrong fight having 
mistaken the real enemy in a doomed attempt to uh, save their way of life by their own power, which is what we often do when we're in the wrong fight. Now, Jesus had just said to this very same crowd, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me because whoever finds his life, you know, outside of Christ, will lose it, literally will be destroyed, will perish. And whoever loses, same word, whoever destroys or perishes his life, his lifeless life apart from Christ, for my sake, will find it. That is, won't perish, won't be destroyed. And so he just said that. Now he says, as he ends this example of the Galileans, but unless you repent, and he's saying this to the whole crowd after saying, you know, yeah, Pilate, Pilate murdered him right there in the the temple. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Can't get off the forefront of his mind. Like those Galileans that Pilate's legion slaughtered at the temple. Yes, it's going to be exactly like that to all of you unless you repent. And yet 15 months later, and just after Jesus says not one stone, some of this very same crowd just will completely disregard his warning and demand that Pilate release Barabbas rather than Jesus. Because, see, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Because Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. And we really like that kind of that type of a wrong fight. You know, it's very tempting Thus, tragically, they backed the wrong fighter because they fought the wrong fight. And it's wrong because to defeat the dark, I must become the light. And to defeat hate, I must become love. And to defeat death, I must become life. And to become light and love and life, we must wrap ourselves in the very nature of Christ and become like Jesus. So clothe yourselves, Paul said. So clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, Christ. And do not even think about how to gratify the, uh, the dark, the hateful, the deadly desires of the sinful nature. That's the wrong fights. Because the body that is sown down here, maybe you've noticed, is perishable. It's got a pull date on it. So, just use your head. The perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And the mortal with immortality. Back to Jesus. He says, or, he's going on now after the Galilean thing, those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam, Siloam was a pool, had a big tower to protect it. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. You think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But, Unless 
you repent, you will all likewise perish. We're all in this together. Nobody gets out of this battle alive without Christ. Your enemies aren't even your enemies. They're just a tactic used to distract us from our, by our real enemy, from our real enemy. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But, but don't confuse should not with won't. Because we got to do what only we can do so the Lord can do what only he can do. And many simply won't, which is tragic because death is dead to those alive in Christ. That's the fighter you want to back right there. That's the guy. Because Jesus has destroyed death. And I love the word for destroyed. I wish they'd use its literal meaning. I, I know why they don't, but the literal meaning there is unemployed. Jesus has unemployed death. <laughs> it's like, you're fired. That's it. And has brought life and immortality. We're talking two different things. Because he came to do two different salvations. One very soon. One eternal. Brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Specifically the gospel of Luke. Wherein Jesus. In no uncertain terms. Warns them when to flee. To escape from death. On that day. Saying. Because the disciples came and asked him. How are we going to know? He says when you. See Jerusalem surrounded by armies. This isn't like a symbolism here. It's just straightforward. You know, when you see the Roman legions, then know, recognize that his desolation is near. You know, you see it on all four sides because they never did that. They always would go maybe on three sides and they were friendly. But when you see it happen on four, you know that its desolation is near. And it happened. Then he says, then, when you see that, oh my goodness, you let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What are they still doing in Judea? And let those who are in the midst of her depart. For these are the days of vengeance. There's more than one day of the Lord in the Bible. It's a lot of days of the Lord. But when the Roman legions surround Jerusalem on all four sides and destroy it, not a single stone is left standing on another. Those are the days of vengeance. Now, back when Jesus first began teaching in Galilee, he went home to Nazareth. He read from Isaiah 61, and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we all go, yeah, this is so nice. Um, and we don't quite get, you know, he hands it back, and all eyes were, were strained on him. Why? Well, I'll tell you why in a second. Because here's the end. I can't tell you all of it, but here's the end of what he read. The Spirit has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to release the oppressed. Isaiah says those who are bound. And I like that line because it's repeated in a psalm. Those who are bound. Uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's where Jesus stops. And all eyes are trained on him as he sits. As he hands it back. Because he stops just eight words short. 
of finishing Isaiah's full sentence, which simply draws attention to it, if you know it. Because Isaiah says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Well, these are the days of vengeance here. But old Hebrews, Hebrews took note and asks us, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified by the Lamb of God and has outraged the Spirit of grace? That's an interesting line right there. Has outraged the Spirit of grace. That takes a lot of doing. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. Yeah, Isaiah says he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Yeah, and for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. And incredibly, he was. The Romans, we know this historically, the Romans used Jerusalem and the Passover as a trap, allowing all the Jews to make that pilgrimage home, return to the city for the feast. Very nice to them. Of course, the ones coming back had rejected Jesus as a true Lamb of God. They weren't, uh, they weren't taking heed to the fact that those Romans were on all four sides. And so they let everyone come into the city. They didn't let anyone leave. But they trapped them in there to starve them, to run the water supply out for months to weaken them before they completely destroyed them. Jesus had warned those bound what they would see when it was time to flee the wrath of God to come. Not only that, he wept. He wept over the city and said the days. Now we know what days he's talking about, the days of vengeance. Because he said, these are the days of vengeance. He says, the days will come upon you when your enemies' legions will build an embankment. I mean, he just says it straight out. Will build an embankment against you and encircle you, which they did on April 14th, 70 AD. And then, because you didn't flee, because you didn't believe my warning, they will hem you in on every side. You should have fled. They will dash you to the ground like those Galileans. They will, they will not leave one stone on another like that Siloam Tower because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. This is just a powerful point here for all of us. Don't miss your moment. Are you done for? 40 years after he warned those bound to flee to the mountains, the moment they see legions surrounding Jerusalem, those who were still faithful, 40 years later, who still believed him, and oh, it's Passover and my family's here. You know, the faithful did. They did. And we know this historically. Many already had, as they saw the day approaching, those, those are some of the stones they uncovered uh, from the temple where they rolled them down. 
when they literally left, not one standing on another, because they thought there was gold and stuff hidden inside the walls, which there was, and so they tore them all apart. Those stones are laying right where they fell on that day. And I want to read you how the ancient eyewitness uh, Jewish historian Josephus described the scene. It's, it's a horrific description. It's very long. This is just a little piece. But he says, as the legions charged in, passion alone was in command. They were out of control. And as they neared the sanctuary, the temple, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands. What were Caesar's commands? We know what they were. He had commanded them uh, to spare the temple because the renovated temple was to be rededicated to Caesar. Uh, to Caesar. But instead, they were out of control by their passions, pretended not to hear his commands, and fulfilled Jesus' warning. How crazy is that? Uh, he goes on, Josephus goes on, everywhere was slaughter and flight. And down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood. One million Jews were massacred in the city. A hundred thousand were taken captive, sold into slavery, shipped around. Many were found hiding in the sewers. It's real people. It's a real event. These steps to the temple, you see the little lit up area, that's a, that's a storm drain under the steps. See how it's broke open there? These steps to the temple were discovered just in 2004, along with the pool of Siloam, where the tower stood. And that storm drain under the stairs, when they found it, was just as it was on that day broken open by legions of Romans to get at the people hiding inside and then left on that day, left untouched for 2,000 years. It was a time capsule. The implements the Romans used were still laying there where they'd broken it open. The, the rocks, the rubble was still just where they threw it. Inside, the, the items the people dropped who were hiding inside. It's crazy. The only group of Jews who won the battle by avoiding the battle, were believers who recognized the time of God's coming. Thank you, Jesus. And repented and received their Savior and believed his warning and obeyed his instructions to flee to the mountains. Whereas those who fought the wrong fight, they didn't believe and, and so didn't obey and so didn't live. The Galilean massacre, the Siloam Tower tragedy, they're minor, minor compared to the destruction of Jerusalem and all Israel on that day. And that can't hold a candle to what death, our worst enemy, does on a daily basis. And the only reason that death comes as such a shock when it comes is that we spend too much mental effort avoiding the inevitable and that's at the heart of the battle waged against us. We got to face it and beat it. You got to beat it by choosing the right fighter. Because here's the thing. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength or 85 if you're Alice Frizzell or, or 100 if you're Shara's Aunt June. Yet... This in common, 
their span is but trouble and sorrow because that's how it works down here. For they quickly pass and we fly away. So please, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what's this wisdom to be gained from trouble and sorrow? I'll tell you the two things the wisdom is. Number one, that our days are numbered. That's the first. And two, that we must daily live life in the light of eternity. Because we don't know when our number's up. But we do know we all die. But did you know we can get a jump on it by dying to sin? I think most of you do. I want to remind you, we're reminding ourselves today, because when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then, not at your funeral, then at that moment, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Well, thanks be to God, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus, Yeshua, salvation, Christ. And that's anyone and everyone who will receive him with their whole heart. Plus, that's not all. <laughs> For those in 70 AD, he not only prepared a warning, he prepared a place of refuge. And we know where it was because they all write about it. It's in a city, it's outside the Bible, but it's the historical writers of the early church in a city called Pella, in the heart of enemy territory in the region called, can you guess it, the Decapolis, the 10 cities. You know, there it is, Pella, those dots are some of the cities. It's right there between uh, Gadara of the Gadarenes and Gerasa of the Gerasenes in the region of the Decapolis. At the base, near the base of the mountains of Bashan or Bashan. It's now called the Golan Heights, but in the Bible it's the mountains of Bashan. And according to early Christian historians, uh, Eusebius, 300 AD, and uh, Epiphanius, 350 AD, uh, who gathered uh, the reports from those who had been there and put them together for us, and we have it, that's great. According to those two guys, there was a well-organized mass church migration of Christians, Jewish Christians, to Pella. But how'd they know which mountains to flee to? Jesus just said, flee to the mountains. How'd they know which mountains to flee to? Any guesses? Somebody say the Bible. <laughs> of the Bible. Like this, because there's a few of them, but here's one that's just not so subtle about when God's going to destroy it all. It's a, a passage in Psalm 68, and I wish I could read the whole thing, but here's just some pieces. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him will flee before him. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. His name, Yah. Remember him? Yah? Yeah, okay. And rejoice before him. You know, maybe even hallelujah him. Because as Isaiah said regarding the day of vengeance, he brings out those who are bound. That's what he came to proclaim. One half of it anyway. 
He gives, so bring out those who are bound. Where? To? To where? What? Bring them out. Okay, but where's out? Oh, well, it just tells you. A, a mountain of God. Okay? A mountain of God uh, is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks, you know, perfect for hiding, is the mountain of Bashan. And for those who might be a bit slow, it just says, this is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Blessed be the God of our salvation, Yeshua, Jesus. Because to God the Lord belong escapes from death. And even though the Decapolis was equally hostile toward the Jews, I mean, it's a hard enemy territory. Eusebius and Epiphanius both tell us how the Gentile Christians in the Decapolis had prepared to house and protect and hide their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters, and they did. And according to Epiphanius, it seems a certain Gadarene had a huge hand in making this happen. After putting his faith in the prized fighter, after seeing that legions of darkness, whether deadly Romans or screaming demons, couldn't hold a candle to the light of life. And so he, our Gadarene brother, began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and being notorious and now not naked and not crazy. Well, all the people were amazed because this is one battle we're all in together from the moment we're delivered till the moment we're, well, delivered. And these guys, oh, in the Decapolis, they're just beginning to see the light. And I can't wait to tell you why. But suffice it to say for now, Egad, Isaiah 65, is just the beginning. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and worship you. And thank you for clothing us with imperishable immortality. Holy Spirit, teach us to number our days and to live each one in the light of eternity. Lord Jesus, we praise you for defeating death and delivering us and declaring everlasting life. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.